Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Conversations on Dance is generously supported by Yumiko. The Yumiko Heather Collection is now available. The Heather Collection is made from a high-performance fabric that features a settled flecked color effect. This ready-to-wear collection offers nine styles of leotards and four color options, including gray, pink, blue, and purple. If you haven't yet seen this newest collection, you have to click around yumiko.com to see these gorgeous looks for yourself. Stay up to date on everything Yumiko by following them on Instagram at yumiko and at yumikoworld. This episode is brought to you by the Lake Tahoe Dance Festival. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. This week, we have the pleasure of diving into one of the works that will be presented at this year's Lake Tahoe Dance Festival, Agnes DeMille's The Other. We speak with dancers Stephen Hanna, formerly of New York City Ballet, and Abby Stafford, principal with New York City Ballet, who will be performing this work at the festival. We are also joined by Diana Gonzalez-Duclair, who is setting the ballet on Stephen and Abby. Diana assisted Miss DeMille in setting the ballet on American Ballet Theater in 1992. We caught up with this trio at the end of their week-long rehearsal process to prepare the work for the festival. We talk about why this work is so significant, the challenges that come along with dancing to mill ballets, and talk through the storyline. Diana tells us why it's so important that companies like the New York Theater Ballet, Ballet Arkansas, Alabama Ballet, and Lake Tahoe Dance Festival continue to present DeMille works in their repertoire. The Lake Tahoe Dance Festival is July 24th through 26th. Tickets are on sale at laketahodancecollective.org. Before we begin today, we would like to mention that we were unfortunately unable to deliver our usual sound quality for this episode. Because we could not geographically be together for this interview, all five of us Skyped in to discuss this work. We appreciate your understanding that sometimes these things are out of our control, but it was very important for us to bring this episode to you as we find what Diana, Abby, and Stephen had to say about this work fascinating and important. Thank you for your patience. 
Well, thank you all so much for joining us today. We're so excited to be able to speak with you, get some nice insight into a really exciting event that's happening at the Lake Tahoe Dance Festival this summer. So we're just going to go ahead and dive right in. We want to start with a question for Deanna. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in the Agnes DeMille Trust? Sure. Um, I originally started working with... um, with uh, Agnes. It's funny, I don't like to call her Agnes because I always called her Mr. Mill. But um, I was brought in by actually Dirk uh, Lombard, who was a a dancer and and knew her when she wanted to remake her dances from the musical Juno into a new ballet, which uh, wound up being The Informer, uh, which was then staged on uh, American Ballet Theater in 87. So she started out with just a small group of dancers to work things out, to learn to learn the dances uh, from the video with her in the room, and uh, she sort of called us her her seeing eye dogs, kind of uh, leading the way to, to change the work. And uh, so that was the first time I, I worked with her, and and we went in and, and helped her with uh, the staging of the ballet with uh, ABT. And then after that, she kept me on as an assistant, and uh, and so we started also working on other pieces that she was redoing, because this is all, of course, after her stroke. Um, and uh, we were working on Tally Ho, a ballet she did in the 40s with ABT, because she wanted to change the ending. But then she came back to this ballet that wound up being called The Other, uh, but had other uh, had other uh, <laughs> incarnations, which was um, it was first done as a piece called Summer on Boston Ballet, and then became a piece called Inconsequentials, and was done with Richmond Ballet, and um, and then finally she decided to rework the narrative and some of the the dances, and it became uh, the ballet The Other, which I then uh, helped her stage with um, American Ballet Theater, and so it premiered in uh, 1992 with Amanda McCara as the um, as the young maiden and Roger Van Fletteren as the other and um, uh, Victor Barbie as, uh, as the lover. So that was my association with her. I, I knew her personally as well um, and spent a lot of time with her as in the studio as well as uh, as outside of the studio so it was a, a great sort of privilege <laughs> uh, working yeah. with her so diana uh it's not uh, not that many choreographers are invested in um making short narrative works is that when you're staging a ballet um you know demille has such a, a genius way of relaying a specific narrative is that something do you find that today's generation needs a little more coaxing into that sort of world rather than a straightforward abstract piece that uh, maybe um we're more familiar with yes uh, um even even the dancers that are that are doing uh that are in companies doing narrative ballets still have to be coached a little bit differently because the acting that that a dancer will do, and for if they're doing Romeo and Juliet, or you know, ballets that are actually dealing with human beings and not swans and sylphs, um, uh, need to be, <laughs> need to be coached differently. And um, an example of this, I was actually just recently speaking with um, uh, a dancer from the Paris Opera because we had done Fall River on them a, a couple years ago, 
And she was she did Giselle and Romeo and Juliet and all these dramatic ballets and was known as a good actress. But she said she realized she had to work so differently with the DeMille piece because it's um, it's a it's a matter of really really working like an actor, really having an, an inner dialogue going. Uh, it's not so much of a projection outward, but it's sort of bringing the audience into your story. So you have they have to really have a an emotional life and uh, an inner dialogue going on, and so that the steps are all coming out of that, as opposed to doing the steps and then imposing some meaning on them afterwards. And so that's how we try to work uh, with hel- helping them personalize the moments uh, for themselves, as, as an actor would do. And it definitely, yeah, it, it's it's a little bit different, but I think the dancers are pretty open to it because it becomes an interesting way for them to work. They don't have to be so nervous and uh, about the whole about the technique of everything, and it's so. I'm I'm hoping that it's for for dancers now that uh, when they work in this way, it's uh, it's a more satisfying uh, work because it's uh, a little more grounded and and um, expressive for them. Right. So, Stephen, you are a former principal with the New York City Ballet, and Abby, you are a current principal with the New York City Ballet. Why do you both find it important to take on gigs like this, like the Lake Tahoe um, Dance Festival over the summer that allows you to dance repertoire that differs from maybe things that you generally dance or have danced before? Do you feel like it really enriches your dancing and your career? You want me to go first? You can go yes. first. <laughs> um, yeah, I, um, definitely. I think that it enriches... Uh, me as an artist and me as a person. Um, You know, it's important just to always do pieces that you've never done before and learn something new. Um, And with the Agnes DeMille stuff, Agnes DeMille pieces stuff, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, it's just, it's such a grounded thing. And I I just really like um, being able to be more human on stage. I feel like the, the older I get, um, the more I want to portray human beings on stage. Um, and I think that that work really, her work really allows you to do that and really act and go moment to moment, just like Diana was saying. And I also think it's important to do these, um, you know, summer gigs just because dance needs to be seen as much as possible. And, um, if there's an opportunity for good work to be presented, um, then it should be done, you know, and I think that's mostly why I say yes. And, um, it's just a good experience and just always to grow. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with everything Steven said. Um, certainly at New York City Ballet, we do not do Agnes DeMille works. Um, in fact, this is the first piece of hers that I've ever gotten to do. I think Steven has done some I did, yeah. I did Oklahoma, the Dream Ballet in 2013, um, staged by Jemsey DeLapp. And that was kind of like my awakening to Agnes DeMille and just how I always knew I wanted to act more. And like she kind of showed me how to do that without projecting some sort of port de bras onto it, but just being able to stand and trust that I'm enough on stage yes. without adding like, all of the isms, um, which is hard, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, we were talking in rehearsal, actually, that this sort of style is, like, against... It's completely the opposite of our training, our dance training mm-hmm. at New York City Ballet. Yeah. Um, we're taught to... It's, you know... More. Certainly in the Peter Martins era, it was more bigger, more... Um, you have to project to the fourth ring. The person sitting farthest back has to be able to see your dancing and your intentions. And um, so... We were also talking about in rehearsal how um, we feel like we're we're marking. Um, hmm. I don't know if you want me to explain what marking is. For I th- I think you're good. We <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> no, but I I really that's so interesting. Has that been what kind of challenge has that been like for you guys to kind of take it down a notch and kind of think about like how can I portray this without so much of those isms like you're talking about? Well, for me, I mean, I I honestly I, I think sometimes it's a little bit simpler for a man, especially in a potata, because we have the luxury or difficulty of always um, helping the female. Um, and so that allows us to just naturally be grounded in general. Um, but I think what's been helpful, and I think this is always helpful for any dance that I do, is to actually be able to connect with your partner at any given moment, and especially like eye contact. <laughs> She's nudging me right now, <laughs> uh, especially eye contact, um, breathing, yeah. mm-hmm. breathing is like huge. Like, mm-hmm. and like, I was thinking about this on my way here. Like I can remember like, like is the breath first or do you look at your partner first? Mm-hmm. Like what comes first? Like you look or you take in what you're seeing and then you react and that's the breath. Like, mm-hmm. I think, you know, there's just like a lot of like, nuances to being human and how that motivates you to move and um that's kind of like what I feel like I've learned from working with these Mm -hmm. with on these pieces well you certainly just taught me something really (laughs) no because I was just remembering like Gen Z would always Uh like um and I say that it was sometimes it's a little easier for the man in these things (laughs) because you know, we don't have to do some of the choreography as much as the women do. And, um, the woman who was the dream Lori, she, um, she got a lot from Jemsey because, you know, she was the female and it was just constantly about the, like, you look, you see it, whatever it is you're seeing, and then you react to it and you have to react to it and you breathe. You don't just start like porta braing and running around. Like you have to actually <laughs> physically see it. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just another thing for me, um, I've actually been out with an injury, with a hip injury. Um, I was out probably April through, like, last week. Um, <laughs> so, so, um, <laughs> so, like, I like I don't feel back yet. I don't feel 100%. I still feel like I'm sort of coming back. Um, however, like, I'm not ready to dance Tarantella or Allegro Brilliant, but I do feel ready for this. This is certainly, like, a wonderful, um, you know, vehicle for me to get myself back. Um, there's less stress, there's less pressure, Mm -hmm. um, as I, as I said, I feel like I'm kind of marking it, but yet... I have to trust that it's enough what I'm doing. Um, So I feel like really fortunate that this is happening right when it is. So I can dance and Mm -hmm. dance well, but not feel like, you know, I'm not my best. Mm -hmm.
Right. I just have one more follow up for you guys when we were talking about, you know, taking on these summer gigs. One of the things that we talked a lot about um, with Kristen and Constantine on our podcast a couple weeks ago was how Lake Tahoe does not have this access to professional dance as much as some, you know, some of the bigger cities in the country. Does that make you guys a little more eager to take on gigs like that where you can really access this part of the country that maybe doesn't get to see works like this, you know, on a regular basis? Yes. I mean, just because, like you said, they don't get to see it. And then the appreciation for it is typically so great um, because they're just so excited to see it and they don't when people see um, great theater or dance or art um, what that does to them I mean they they don't realize like how good it is and then they see it and then they're like oh wow I didn't realize what it was I was missing like I've heard about it but I thought it was maybe something else but now that I've seen it live I understand really what it is and have like a bigger appreciation for it and want to see more mm-hmm. and also in, in smaller venues smaller spaces um, I feel like um, something like this is really good for that because it's so um, subtle and nuanced mm-hmm. and that can really be lost um, in a big big theater unless you're, you're really good at it <laughs> <laughs> Oh, which you are. <laughs> There's so many of these very intimate moments in her uh, in her pieces, in her ballets. And um, it's true that in the smaller... It's not that they don't work in larger venues, and especially some of her larger ballets. But um, And there there is still, even though one may feel, as I said, that they're marking, um, again, if it's really lived out emotionally... Um, that does come. That does come across, and that does read, and it, and it can read, you know, to the back, uh, the the back of the house, um, and that's where the coaching, you know, is uh, is important with these pieces. But um, it's true that in a small venue, it's it's wonderful because they're really the audience is really peering in on this uh, private and, and special moment. In this case, of this pas de deux between uh, between these two people. So. All right. Uh, Diana, can you tell us a little bit about what the narrative is for the work, um, what Abby and Stephen's relationship is in this particular pot at a... Sure. Um, the, it's interesting because this ballet is sort of, uh, narratively almost more abstract than her other work. So, you know, she talks about this being about the, the, uh, the young maiden and the lover representing life and love and then... The role of the um, of the other, the one that was done by Roger with ABT, um, being the representative of death, and so um, this potida happens uh, after the um, after death sort of comes uh, into this village and represents represents death in the sense of of its um, sort of attraction and and yet being sort of repulsed and pulled away. So. The pot de itself is between the lover and the maiden, but it's at the point where um, death has chosen already the maiden, that she, she, her life will be ending. And so the lover comes to sort of console her, to confront her. And it's, also, it's in the movement of the pot de There's all this uh, movement uh, for the maiden going, sort of searching forward, uh, whether or not that's going, you know, sort of crossing over or, uh, or searching 
again, for life, and the lover is there to comfort her or to, to keep her close until the very end. And at the very end of the pas de deux, um, the lover does a press lift uh, with her, and in the ballet, death comes on and snatches her in, in, uh, in midair. So it's a very... Um, uh, it's a very simple but emotional pas de deux about love and and the uh, the price we pay for loving, which is loss. So uh, it's sort of big themes, and that's where the dancers sort of have to find a way to you know personalize and, and make that make sense uh, for them. So this work is rarely seen as based on our what the internet tells us. <laughs> um, is there is there a reason? Is so? Is it the full work is rarely seen, or the just the potada on its own is rarely seen? And and is there a particular reason, maybe, why you think it's not done very often? Um, it's well, it's both. It was done after it had premiered with ABT. Um, it was done at with Alabama Ballet, where Roger Van Flatteren is a ballet master down there. And this ballet, I know, meant a, a great deal to him. And uh, Agnes really picked him out to do the role of death. And he, he wasn't always picked out for these principal roles at ABT. So, and, and he was fantastic in it. And he wanted to he wanted to do the ballet with the company stage it. And so he brought Amanda down, and and uh, they did it. And then after that. The dancer, one of the dancers that did the ballet, uh, did the role of the lover, he's now uh, Michael Fothergill, and his wife Catherine are now directors at Ballet Arkansas, and so they brought me out last year just to do the this pas de deux. Um, the, the company's not large enough to do the full ballet, so it's sort of being done, but it's being done actually because of people having dancers now having experiences of doing DeMille and, and feeling satisfied by it. And, uh, um, you know, in some instance, sort of changing their artistic life sometimes, you know, one, one hopes, uh, through the work. And, uh, but I think people don't do it because it, it's just, it's not been seen that much. It's, uh, sometimes, as I mentioned, DeMille can get a, uh, the works can have this reputation, uh, especially in the bigger companies of being, uh, being old fashioned and, and sort of out of date. And we've moved on to other kinds of expression and dance. But a lot of that is because sometimes there's not enough, enough rehearsal time. There's, I mean, almost technical elements in terms of coaching and really giving the ballets enough uh, enough time to it you know the dancers have to really sit with the work for a while and sort of nourish it and um, so I think that's part of the reason uh, that uh, and, and and now we're we're on a generation that just they don't know the ballets anymore they have I mean, it's been a long time ABT's main been the main company but uh, Rodeo's done quite a lot I'm uh, but I, I love that um, this ballet is getting this chance, you know, at, at um, a further life. You know, in Miami City Ballet, we were very lucky that we did a lot of rare Balanchine things that had even dropped out of the repertoire at New York City Ballet. I mean, everyone loves to see Serenade or, you know, for DeMille, it's like who hasn't seen that beautiful ballet in Oklahoma? And it's so striking and wonderful and you want to see it more. But mm-hmm. there's a whole other world for her beyond that. So. Yeah. We did. We did. Uh, I mean, Fall River also gets done, and we did that out, as I mentioned, in, in uh, 
uh, Paris Opera. And there again, we had six weeks rehearsal period, which is unheard of right. <laughs> in wow, yeah. companies here. Wow. And and it was it was just fantastic. I mean, we really had the time to work on all the details. It's true that yeah, to see some of the lesser. I mean, that's a well-known work of hers, but uh, to see these lesser works are so important. Uh, so, Stephen and Abby, what has been, what has the work week been like for you, the, the process? Was there anything that uh, was particularly challenging? I know we've already kind of addressed um, the sort of intimacy that the work demands, but, I mean, does that make you feel a little bit vulnerable as an artist, that you can't, um, you know, put the extra... Yeah. as we've been calling it. <laughs> yes, yeah. of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's because uh, you think that you always have to add an arm or like stretch your leg more or give more epaulement. And like, instead <laughs> of like, yeah, it has been challenging with all of that stuff that you mentioned. And then it's also hard. Like, it's actually a really hard potata as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, for him. And I, it's actually really quite hard. Um, yeah, like for, I'd say it's pretty difficult just in general, like even without the acting, you know, I think that the partnering is, it's not, not necessarily tricky. I think that it's just, um, physically hard. Um, but, um, but really rewarding because of, you know, a, I get to dance with Abby, who's oh. a really close friend of mine, and so it's always really fun. And it's fun to do something like this with her because we, you know, the past couple of years we've only gotten a chance to do really like nutcrackers, nutcrackers. together. So like, <laughs> it's just really nice to actually be able to do something that feels really mature and um, mm-hmm. more suited, you know, to where we are. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 What, yeah. What's yeah, I mean, Diana keeps saying to us, you know, relax your arms, like, yeah. cl- closer <laughs> together. We're also trained um, in partnering. The man is supposed to give the woman a lot of space, you know, far mm-hmm. stand far away from her, yeah. <laughs> give her space. And she keeps telling us, get closer, yes, like, drop your arms. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, just so... Um, yeah, it's just, I mean, as I said before, I just sort of feel like I'm almost marking it. And I just, for me, I just have to trust that it's enough. And that's always been, like, really hard for me in my career, um, just to trust that the work itself is enough. And I'm just presenting it. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, Diana, can you tell us some of the hallmarks of the DeMille um, style and what you kind of work on with the dancers to help them embody this style that maybe they're not so used to, maybe this element of kind of underdoing it instead of overdoing it that we're kind of dancers tend to try to resist? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, certainly with the with the gestures, because gesture and, and actually this Potter doing this ballet doesn't have quite doesn't have the sort of stereotypical hallmark gestures that we think of with DeMille that's more in Oklahoma yeah. and and uh, and a little bit in, in Rodeo and Fall River. Um, but the gestures for Agnes, of course, were the words. And um, and she used to say, don't, you know, the gestures have to be 
precise and clear, otherwise you're babbling. <laughs> and, uh, but, um, I mean, technically, a lot of times you have to keep the dancers from using too much wrist. You know, I mean, we're so used to... Uh, and funny enough, I was actually trained at SAB as well, but, but uh, I sort of kept my more chiquetti arms when I was there. Uh, but um, so you, ha- yeah. <laughs> you have to kind of, you have to sort of get less wrist. It's really distilling a gesture. I mean, there, you know, there's a part where, where they do, where Abby and, and, uh, and Stephen do um, glissades just holding hands. I mean, there's nothing more simple than that. And um, just take your lover's hand. I mean, you just, when you, in, in life, when you take your partner's hand, you don't sort of lift up the arm and, and follow it through with the wrist. You, t- you just take their hand. And, and it, like Abby said, it's trusting that that's, uh, that that's enough. And, um, and it is a, a lot of the eye contact is very, very important, really looking at each other in, in the eyes and grounding and, and, uh, and trusting yourself. It's, it's hard to sort of explain how really you get coaching Demille in that way what walks also are something that are that you always sort of have to walk uh, work on with the dancers especially if they're in point shoes it's it's hard not to do that presentational ballet walk through the foot and she always wanted you to walk more naturally for for the last question um, Diana we wanted to know uh, as this was Demille's final work what do you think this says about her overall artistic legacy well I mean, it's interesting because she, it wound up being, ironically, her last work because she, as I mentioned, she had been working on this before and actually even before her stroke because at first you sort of think, well, when she had her stroke in 75, she was really faced to death. I mean, it was a very serious stroke and so maybe this ballet sort of came out of that and, and it didn't. She had already done most of these dances before then. She was always searching it, in terms of this question of um, of the yeah, the price for I mentioned before love, but also the price of life is is the en- inevitability of, um, of of an end. And uh, I think it was actually quite ironic that this wound up being her last ballet. Um, in, in the ballet itself, the other, and this was something that she put on um, that she changed narratively with. Um, with Amanda McCarrow is at the end when when death comes to her and uh, uh, kneels before her and Agnes said the the executioner always kneels before their victim before before the final act to to ask their forgiveness and he kneels and then kisses her the the death of uh, the kiss of death and uh, Amanda and uh, Amanda turns to the audience and laughs and that's sort of the final moment which is interesting because Agnes always had this sense of, um, of well she always had humor um, and uh, but it's sort of a sense of surprise at the end and actually Anderson Farrell the director of the, the DeMille working group had we had talked about this and he had mentioned one day he asked her about death what do you you know do you, do you think about this and and uh, towards the end of her, you know, she's in her 80s, and she said, well, she said, I, um, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know it won't be boring. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, she, she was, I think, 
yeah, contemplating, uh, I mean, artistically, I think this is her most distilled work. And it's interesting if you look at other artists. I, I often think of Picasso in his very last sort of drawings and art. Um, is He sort of went back to just a line, you know, drawing a, a seashell with just a simple line. And, and sometimes other artists' work are more... Uh, towards the end gets simpler and and going back to a basic uh, a basic architecture and so I feel this work is her most romantic it's her most lyrical um, you know she her some of her other work was even more grounded almost sometimes approaching Graham who she had a close friendship with and this is really has all of her her strength, but her femininity that she loved, and uh, and relationships. These in this pas de deux, there's the movement of um, of going forward and having, and she said wanting to go forward and having the freedom to to go forward and work. And she was certainly someone very ambitious and very ahead of her time, especially as a as a female in uh, not only in the ballet world but in the musical theater world that was mostly male, um, and. Uh, in her own marriage, even though she was very independent, there is something very comforting about still having your lover give you a little bit of a boundary. And uh, so I think it's, this last piece are comments on, on, uh, on all, of, all of those life's issues. <laughs> right. That's so beautiful. What a beautiful experience for the audience of Lake Tahoe Dance Festival for you guys. We wish we could see it. It just sounds so beautiful and like such a great thing to be a part of. So we really appreciate you guys taking the time to give us this wonderful, wonderful preview. And we wish you married at Lake Tahoe. And we know it's going to be really wonderful. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in this week. If you are new to the podcast, we invite you to click available episodes in your favorite podcast app to explore our catalog of over 140 episodes with some of the most influential people in the ballet and dance world. If you like what you heard today, please click subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends. New episodes of Conversations on Dance go live every Monday. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.